The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established, the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into the plowshares, and their shears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Well, as I said earlier, today's service is structured around a series of stories of hope. And our hope is that as we draw nearer to Christmas, these stories will speak to us and speak through us of the hope that comes into the world in Jesus and which shines through us to lighten the darkness of a world that can so often seem bleak and depressing. When I was a child, I remember being told the little rhyme... Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Do you remember that one? And whilst I think I know what it is trying to say to a child facing teasing and verbal bullying at school, I also think it seriously underestimates the power of words. The writer of the Psalms knows something about the capacity of words to hurt a person and says in Psalm 42, As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me. And words continue to have a power to destroy and break down, which we experience in many ways in our own lives, from the devastation of, I don't love you anymore, to the heartbreak brought by the bearer of tragic news. Words have this enduring capacity to change the world for the worse. In one memorable scene in a Doctor Who Christmas episode a few years ago, the Doctor is speaking to the Prime Minister, played by the wonderful Penelope Wilton, and the Doctor tells her that he can bring her down with just six words. If the technology works, we're going to see this short clip now. I could bring down your government with a single word. You're the most remarkable man I've ever met. But I don't think you're quite capable of that. No, you're right. Not a single word. Just six. I don't think so. Six words. Stop it. Six. Don't you think she looks tired? 
What did he say? Um, well, nothing, really. What did he say? I, I, nothing, I don't know. Doctor! Doctor, what did you... What was that? What did he say? What did you say, Doctor? Doctor! She dares him to do his worst, and he leads it, leans into one of her aides and whispers in his ear, Don't you think she looks tired? By the end of the episode, the previously strong Prime Minister is seen battling rumours of ill health and is facing a vote of no confidence in the House, brought down by just six words. Don't you think she looks tired? The similarities, of course, with some of the personal attacks launched at Hillary Clinton in the recent US presidential election are striking. Don't you think she looks tired? And suddenly the president changes. Words can indeed destroy worlds, but words can also create worlds. The power of words can construct hope in the face of hopelessness. They can bring comfort where there is distress. Words can bring faith where there is doubt. One of the reasons I still stand up here on Sundays and offer my words to the congregation is because I hope that in some way the dreams, the ideas and the faith that underlies them will come into being in the lives of those who hear them. One of the former ministers and preachers in this church, Brian Haynes, speaks of the role of the minister as being that of keeping the rumour of God alive. Keeping the rumour of God alive. Just keep whispering that outrageous truth that maybe there is a God of love. And I want to offer this idea to all of us this morning because maybe this is not just the mission of the minister or the preacher. Maybe the task before each of us is that of keeping the rumour of God alive. Here, the power of words is used to keep alive the story of faith, to keep telling the tales of grace, to keep spinning narratives of hope into being. This was certainly the understanding of Isaiah in the story of a new world found near the beginning of the book that bears his name, the story that Corinna read for us earlier. The setting of these words spoken to the ancient Israelites was one of impending disaster, the Babylonians were soon to march into the land, destroy the temple and carry the people of God off into exile. Their understanding of themselves as God's chosen and loved people was about to be tested to the limits as they faced war and deportation and with them. Into the darkness of the decades to come, they took, preserved and treasured the oracle of Isaiah that one day, one day, things would be different. This is the same story that has been taken by people into the immigration camps of Europe, a hope that one day the world will be better. 
Isaiah's vision offered people hope that a time was coming when the law of the Lord would be preeminent over the laws of all other lordships. And whilst these verses from Isaiah are developed within the Jewish and Christian traditions to become a hope for a distant future or an afterlife when wrongs will be righted and sins forgiving, in Isaiah's own time and context, it's likely that when he spoke of the days to come, what he meant was not some distant future, but a particular time of the year, probably one of the festivals linked to harvest time, when people could celebrate the annual move from the time of patient waiting between sowing the seed and waiting for the harvest, and the time of fruitfulness when the harvest is gathered in, before the world turns again, of course, and the season moves inexorably to winter. In Isaiah's context, the security of the temple and the land was about to be disrupted by a season of bitterness and displacement at the hands of the Babylonians. He had read the writing on the wall and seen the signs of the time, and he could see that peace was not going to last. And so he offered those facing dark days to come a vision of hope that one day, as surely as the seasons turn, so their winter will turn one day to spring. The future will turn once again to hope. And as we hear the words of Isaiah's vision in the run-up to Christmas, our own annual festival of hope in the depth of the cold and darkness of winter, the festival when we remember the coming of Jesus into this world of sin, I think we can hear this story of hope inviting us to to resist the stories of defeat and darkness and despair, and instead to live and breathe into life our own stories of hope and faith and love. Words, you see, don't just describe the world. They have the capacity to create the world. Have you ever noticed that in the Genesis creation story, God speaks the world into being? The world is made by words. The truth of this story is that words create worlds and can do so for good or for evil. We all love to hear stories. And we all tell stories. We tell them with our voices, but also we tell stories by our lives. The things we say and the things we do. And I wonder this morning, what kind of a story are we telling with our lives? What kind of a story am I telling? We hear stories in the news, stories of war and pessimism and hurt and pain and despair. And sometimes it can seem too much to bear. Sometimes I just want to turn it off because I don't want to hear those stories anymore. But then these stories of darkness can enter into us and shape us and define us and not always in helpful ways because we end up repeating in our own lives the stories of despair that we've heard. And if we are not careful, we magnify them and we glorify in the retelling of them. And whilst I certainly would not want to advocate a Pollyanna approach to life where we close our ears to stories of tragedies and adopt a false optimism, 
Neither should we aim for a chicken-licking approach, forever retelling the story that the sky is about to fall. Rather, Isaiah invites us to rewrite the stories of our lives according to God's perspective. Just as he encouraged the ancient Jews to take a realistic approach to the disaster that lay before them, but also to not lose their hope in the future. So we should not seek to minimise bad news. But also we should learn to not let go of our story of hope. Our faith in a God of love revealed in Jesus Christ. Despite what Peter, our train driver, Deacon, may like to tell us sometimes, the light at the end of the tunnel is not always a train coming towards you. It was Martin Luther King who said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it tends towards justice. And so the prophet Isaiah tells us that in days to come, The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is our story of hope. And if we tell it faithfully, we create the world in which it becomes true. Shake, a story, if I may, from my early conversations with you. I asked Shake why he wanted to become a follower of Jesus. And he said, because Jesus is a man of peace. So let's commit ourselves today to keeping the rumour of God alive.